Amen, amen. How marvelous, how wonderful is our Savior's love for us. I am praying that as we look now to God's word, that we are astounded by the love that God has shown us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, please grab them and open up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to get to chapter 7, but we're going to start in Mark chapter 1 today. If you're newer to the Bible, Mark is in the back portion of your Bible in the New Testament. It comes right after Matthew. You can use your table of contents in the front. Would love for you to feast your eyes on the truths that we're going to see this morning. Uh, As we get going, I have an honest confession. I struggle sometimes to preach narrative portions of scripture. And here's why, because I look at it, I read it, and I think, yep, that's what happened. Like what else need be said at this moment? Uh, And so I wrestled with this passage for a while this week, and the longer I did, the more the Lord showed me. Uh, It actually ended up being one of the sweetest times I have had in scripture in a long while, and I'm excited to share that with you this morning. But can I just encourage you, brothers and sisters, uh, this word, God's word, it is beautiful. And if we take the time and if we wrestle with it and if we linger in the text and if we think deeply on it and meditate on this truth, then we will see beauty. Let it consume our minds. Keep coming back again and again and again. It's been said that raking is easy, but all you get are leaves, but digging is hard and sometimes you find treasure. And so let's be a people that are committed to mining the treasure and the beauty of God's word. Uh, In your bulletin, you'll see your notes. As you look there, you'll notice that there are no points. I pray that this is not a pointless sermon, but there are no points in there nonetheless. But this is, this blank page is what I started with this week preparing for the sermon. And so I thought we could all experience that moment together and then see the beauty as we let the text unfold. Last week, Pastor Michael reminded us that the message of the gospel is not do better, but rather you can't do better, so run to Jesus. When he said that last week, I was ready to be done with church. Amen. Like that is the truth, brothers and sisters. We can't do better, so run to Jesus. Uh, As we walked through the beginning of Mark chapter 7, we were reminded that God has always been most concerned with the heart, not the external and empty religious functions that we perform, but what's going on in our hearts. And so what I want to do this morning is recount where we've been so far in Mark to help us really see and understand the glory of this passage today. So in Mark chapter 1, We'll begin in verse two. We read this, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now you can see up here on the screens, this is a map 
of where Jesus was engaging in ministry, and the geography of today's passage in Mark 7 is crucial to understanding what's happening. Uh, Now, we see Jesus beginning, or Mark beginning, rather, his telling of the gospel with Jesus being baptized, likely somewhere in this region where the dot appears on the screen. Uh, After Jesus' baptism, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he'll be tempted after 40 days. After this, Jesus returns and he begins doing his ministry in Galilee which is in this region on the screen, which is the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, During this portion of the gospel, Jesus calls his disciples. He's preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. He's healing, and he enters into conflict with the Pharisees. Uh, Each time we see him engaging in conflict, it seems to be centering around Jesus's seeming disregard for the Jewish laws and customs. Uh, In this time, Jesus also begins teaching parables, concluding his message by saying this, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. His disciples, they always need to be taken away after Jesus teaches in parables and sat down for a private explanation of what it is that he's trying to communicate. Uh, Then we get into Mark chapter 5, and Jesus and his disciples, they go to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. It's now in the northeast region, and this is where he rescues the demon-possessed man who was filled with a legion of demons. He casts them out into the pigs, and the pigs go storming down the cliff into the water and drown, and the people are like, that was super weird, right? Uh, Not long after that, he and his disciples are back in Galilee. And in Galilee, there comes a Jewish man named Jairus. He's one of the rulers of the synagogue. And he comes and he falls down at Jesus' feet and he begs him to heal his daughter who is sick and nearly dead. And so Jesus goes with him. Then in Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. He's teaching on the Sabbath in one of the synagogues, and the people take great offense at his teaching. Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus taught, but Luke does. It's here on the screens. This is important for the text this morning. In Luke 4, verses 24 through 28, we read this. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow." And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Jesus, preaching in his hometown, then leaves and goes back to the region of Galilee, and there he's teaching parables, he's performing miracles, as we've seen over the past several weeks. And so up till now... 
you can see on the screens everywhere that Jesus has been. Everywhere that Jesus has been engaging in ministry, where he's been teaching, where he's been healing, where he's been performing miracles, and it's all in the land of the Jews. After all, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and he came to call back the lost children of Israel. Last week in the text, we saw with the Pharisees that it began to reach a climactic moment where Jesus has the audacity to, with his disciples, eat a meal without first cleaning their hands. Now, what Pastor Michael didn't tell you last week is that I am a freak when it comes to washing your hands before you eat. If you do not wash your hands before you eat, you're gross, okay? Uh, just wash your hands. It takes 30 seconds. It's fine. People that you're eating lunch with will make fun of you, but it's worth it because they get sick and you don't, right? So wash your hands. If you hear nothing else this morning, I'm just kidding. I hope you hear more than that. Uh, in the text from last week, Jesus, he pulls no punches. He quotes this actually again from Isaiah and see how Mark is doing this. He's grabbing Isaiah and he does it again quoting Isaiah 29, verse 13 to the Pharisees. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so last week again, Pastor Michael taught us, it does us no good to wash the car if the battery is dead. The external appearance is meaningless without true transformation of the heart. And all of this, friends, brings us to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, because Jesus is about to go somewhere else and do something different that he has not done yet in these first seven chapters. Look with me, please, at Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. It says, and from there he arose, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. You read this text, and you ask, where is my Jesus, and what have you done with him? Like, why is he being so rude to this woman calling her a dog? We have to understand what's happening in the text. Jesus, he goes into the region of Tyre and Sidon, Notice that this is way far away from everywhere else that Jesus has been in this moment. 
This is anomalous. The geography is different. And so it forces us to ask questions and to press the text. Why Jesus going here and why Jesus doing it now? As he's in Tyre and Sidon, he meets an unnamed Gentile woman whose single most important identifier is that she's a Canaanite. And she comes and falls at his feet, begging him to cast a demon out of her daughter. Now let's stop for just a moment. Does this remind you of anything else that we've reviewed so far in the Gospel of Mark? And if you're sitting there thinking, why, yes, it does. It reminds me of a man named Jairus who came and fell down at Jesus' feet in Galilee and begged Jesus to heal his daughter who was sick and nearly dead. Friends, when I saw this this past week, it absolutely wrecked me. Look at the contrast between these two healings. Jairus, we get his name. We understand that he is a Jewish man and he's an important Jewish man. He's a ruler of one of the synagogues. But now here's Jesus in Tyre and Sidon in Gentile country. And here comes an unnamed Gentile woman who is identified as a Canaanite. She's never even given a name. We're never even told who she is, but Jesus doesn't need her name. Jesus doesn't need her name to know her. Jesus doesn't need her name to see her. And Jesus doesn't need her name to enter into the brokenness and the hurt of her life. Do you remember earlier when Jesus was teaching in Nazareth? He was in the synagogue and they all took offense at his teaching. Do you remember what he said? He said, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to where? To Zarephath in the land of, oh, there it is, Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. 800 years Before Jesus shows up on the doorsteps of this unnamed woman's house, God sent another Jewish messenger to a desperate woman in Tyre and Sidon. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 6. You're welcome to turn there. 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16, the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. He said, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the city, behold, a widow was gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as he was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. 
Elijah, he said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, and she and her whole household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. It's a woman in Tyre and Sidon who's about to die because she has no bread. This is insane. It's impossible. It demonstrates that our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Jesus is the true and better Elijah who 800 years later enters into this very same region to find an unnamed Gentile woman so that he might bring the healing and hope and restoration that she needs. So watch this interaction. She begins by begging him to cast out this unclean spirit. And then in verse 27, Jesus responds by saying, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Jesus is picking up on this whole history. He responds with a parable about bread on purpose to this woman in Tyre and Sidon. And we have to look at it from the disciples' perspective in order to understand why Jesus is saying this. In Matthew's telling of the story, we learn that this woman was coming up and begging Jesus, and the disciples, while she was begging for help, were begging Jesus to send her away. They were annoying the disciples and they were like, Jesus, get this girl out of here. She's out of control. And yet Jesus allows her to persist. The disciples are thinking this is an unclean Gentile woman. She's from a group that despised Israel and had been their sworn enemy for centuries. To the Jews, even to the disciples, this woman would have been considered a mangy mutt who was good for nothing. Jesus, he takes this perception of the disciples and for the purpose of teaching them something, he assumes their position. He speaks to the woman and he says out loud what they're thinking in their hearts because he needed them to hear it with their own ears. And yet this woman's response is miraculous. Not only does she not take offense at being called a dog, but she actually understands the parable and she enters into the parable. See, up until this point, every time that Jesus had told a parable, his disciples didn't have ears to hear. He had to take them aside and explain it to them. This unnamed Gentile woman from Canaanite territory instantly understands what Jesus is teaching. It's just as the Lord said in Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 10, as Isaiah is beginning his ministry, as Mark keeps quoting Isaiah, we see it here as well. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. 
make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. But this woman, this outsider, this unclean Gentile, she has ears to hear. She understands the parable and she enters in and in verse 28, her response is a response from within the parable saying, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She and Jesus are tracking. She's not offended. She understands exactly what Jesus is doing and I can see them almost with these quaint smiles and these gentle voices having this exchange with one another. You see, this is something that Jesus does often in the gospels. He gives first the lecture and then he brings his disciples into the lab. He gave the lecture in verses verses 14 through 23 that we looked at last week. There is nothing outside a person that entering them can defile him. Traditions of man, worthless religion, it cannot save. It's not about the outside, it's about the inside. And after the lecture, Jesus takes them into the lab of Tyre and Sidon to an uncleaned, defiled Gentile dog to show them exactly what he means. That no one, no matter who they are or where they come from, is outside of God's reach. The gospel extends to all people in all nations, and he is calling unto himself a people from every corner of the world. It is not just for the Jews. This gospel, this Jesus is for everyone. And so she presses him. She won't let him go without blessing her, without helping her, without entering in to her brokenness. Now, lest we think that Jesus needed to be begged, let's remember He's the one that showed up in her city. Jesus's life was not a life of coincidence. It was a life of providence. Every move he makes, he makes on purpose. He didn't need to be begged by this woman. He showed up on her doorstep because he intended to. He showed up in her life because he was always going to grant her request. He showed up to this unnamed Gentile woman to demonstrate that faith reigns supreme in the kingdom of God. And in verse 29, he says, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. In Matthew's telling of this story, in 1528, we learn that Jesus says, oh woman, great is your faith. The Jewish people, they had the law. They had the stories, the commandments, the heritage, but many placed their hope and their faith in the law to save them. They wanted to do better to be accepted. They wanted to boast in their righteousness, in their adherence to the law. But this Gentile woman, she had nothing 
but Jesus. And that's all she needed. Nothing but Jesus. And that's all she needed. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And this woman is commended for her faith because her only boast is in Jesus and the fact that he's standing before her on this day. Jesus sought this woman out. She met Jesus and she embraced him by faith. Then in verse 30, she went home, found the child lying in bed with the demon gone. She met Jesus, she embraced him by faith, and everything changed. What about you? What about me? What does it mean for us to have met Jesus? Do our lives look radically transformed as we see the person and work of Jesus Christ and as we embrace him by faith? Now we're nearly there, but now that the lab has concluded, Jesus is going to end it with an exclamation point. He's gonna tie a bow on this whole series. He heads over out of the region of Tyre and Sidon over to the Decapolis. It's on the east, southeast side of the sea, and it's another region that is primarily a Gentile region. We pick up in our text in verse 31. Then he, Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, And they begged him to lay his hands on him. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he does all things well. He even makes, here it is, the deaf hear and the mute speak. This specific story is found in none of the other gospels. It's one of the very few that only Mark covers. And he places it here on purpose. Notice it's another unnamed Gentile who has a firsthand experience with the brokenness and the suffering of this world in his own life. In verse 32, we're told of this man's ailments. He's deaf and he has a speech impediment. Now, when I'm preaching, I don't normally like to do this, but I think it's too rich to ignore this morning. So before I do, I wanna say this out loud and very, very clearly. You do not need a seminary degree in order to understand God's word. You do not need to know Greek and Hebrew in order to get at the main point of what God is communicating. He has spoken in such a way as to reveal himself and to make it plain and clear to us. Now, while knowledge of the original languages is not absolutely essential to hearing God's voice, sometimes knowing it helps you to see something beautiful. 
And I mean this sincerely. Uh, Praise God for your faithful giving in support of your pastors and leaders so that they can spend hours in the text preparing to serve a feast for our souls each Sunday morning. And I'm so grateful for God's grace to us in Pastor Michael and his faithfulness week after week after week to spend time in the text and to serve that up for us every week. It's a blessing. And sometimes we're able to see things that we wouldn't be able to see without that. So I want to show you something here, but the main point is clear even apart from this. As I said, the man was deaf and had a speech impediment. The Greek word that's used here for speech impediment is used only one other place throughout the entire Bible. And of course, it's in the book of Isaiah. As Mark has been pointing us again and again to the book of Isaiah, this one is found in Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6. It's here on the screen. It says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. It's right there at the end, In verse 6, the same word that Mark uses in Mark 7, 32 is only used here in Isaiah 35. And it's a call, it's a pointer, it's declaring to us that Jesus is the promised Messiah who would come not only to call back the lost children of Israel, but who would come to call all of the nations unto himself so that they might enter into God's kingdom by faith and so rejoice and sing for joy at the work that God has done. Mark's been playing on this theme of hearing ever since Mark 4, 9, when Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again and again, we see his disciples, they're not able to hear, they couldn't understand, they weren't able to perceive, so too the Pharisees. They stopped their ears, they were unwilling to hear. But the Gentiles, in these two passages, the unnamed Canaanite Gentile woman in Tyre and Sidon, and now the physically deaf Gentile in the Decapolis, they can hear. And upon hearing, they believe. And upon believing, everything changes. Look at how Jesus heals this man. It's different from all of the other healings that we've seen so far in Mark. Usually Jesus speaks a word, but here, Jesus puts his fingers into his ears and he touches the man's tongue. Why? I think it's for this reason. The Jewish people spent their whole lives trying to remain ceremonially clean. And they knew that if even they touched a Gentile and coming into interaction with them, they would become unclean. It's everything that Jesus had been saying up in Mark 7 up till this point. But with Jesus, it's the exact opposite. A Jewish person touches a Gentile and they become unclean just as the Gentile was. But with Jesus, not so. No, Jesus is so clean, is so pure that when he touches the unclean, he doesn't become unclean. Rather, they become clean just as he is. This whole passage 
is beautifully connected to demonstrate that Jesus has come for all and that all who are broken and desperate and needy who will embrace him by faith can enter into the kingdom of the Messiah and can have their lives and eternities changed for his glory and for their joy. Church, this morning, we have the opportunity to end our time together by hearing a testimony of somebody in our church family who's gonna be baptized next Sunday after Fall Fest, but a story about a woman who in the midst of her brokenness, Jesus showed up into her life. And when Jesus did, and when she embraced him by faith, everything changed. Glory to God. Hear Desiree's story this morning. Before I received Christ, my life was a life full of sin and untruths and lies. I lived without any faith in my life whatsoever. I was raised in a home um, that was very abusive. And for me, growing up, abuse was normalcy. I grew up where daily I was abused by my mom. My father wasn't a part of my life. So throughout my life, I thought that was normal. Three husbands and two children later, um, and abuse for years and years of my life. At 40 years old, I decided to be alone and find myself. I wasn't dependent on any man, but I hadn't found God either. I was fighting the battle wounds, both physically and emotionally, from my abuse throughout all the years and trying to find myself. I met a man, love of my life. I got another job, and the first day of that job, I came home and my husband committed suicide. My mother died the week before. That's where my downhill spiral began. That was my coping mechanism, even though I went to all the counseling in the world. I never turned to God because I didn't know God. A good friend of mine saw changes in me and he took me to N.A. So I went to N.A. I was doing great. I was attending meetings. I was sober. And then another boulder came into my path. December of 2020, my rock, my strength, my life, my dad. My mentor and everything in my life became ill. And for six months, I sat at my father's bedside and held his hand and watched him pass away. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. At that point, when I came back to Florida, I didn't care anymore. I experienced more than most in my lifetime from my childhood until that point when my father passed away. 
My daughter told me I couldn't see my grandchildren until I changed my life. My grandchildren meant so much to me. I just turned to the drugs and alcohol. My friend that had saved me the first time had come to check on me and I was almost dead laying on my lanai. If he hadn't found me, I wouldn't be here to talk to you today. And it was at that point, that day, that I surrendered my life to the Lord, that I asked forgiveness for my sins, that I repented, and that I asked for salvation and accepted the Lord in my life. But God was waiting patiently for me in the background. He waited for me. I just didn't know that. And the Lord waited, and he brought me through all that. I've never drank another drop of alcohol. Never done another drug. I have been sober from that moment on. I've never gone to another NA meeting because my sponsor is the Lord. I have the best relationship I've ever had with my daughter, my grandchildren. The Lord sent me back to my former job, provided a beautiful home for me. My peace in my heart is just amazing. I belong to a Bible study with two amazing women that have helped me to learn the word. I was brought to North River by some phenomenal friends that brought me here. I love this church. I love the family here that just opened their arms when I walked in. I've never felt so at peace with people in my life. And I thank the Lord because he has authority over everything and he is enough. There is hope out there for everyone, everyone. He performs miracles and he's there and he is there even when people don't believe. Take it from me. <laughs> I was in the darkest hours through most of my life, but he was waiting for me.